Welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. Customers are evolving and customer service and customer experience needs to evolve with it. Your business brand or your personal brand is enabled by your customer's trust and confidence in that brand. And putting the customer first today requires greater speed and agility than it ever has before. Today, we have Gabe Larson on the podcast and Gabe shares what it means for him and his company, Customer with a K, to put the customer first in today's market and how we can shift our mindset from viewing the customer service or experience as a cost center and more of a revenue driver for the business. So enjoy the conversation with Gabe Larson. Hey, everybody. We've got Gabe Larson with us today. Gabe, thanks so much for joining the One Thing podcast. And we're really excited to have you. Yeah, appreciate it. Excited to dive in and um, been a been a more recent fan, if I'm honest, but um, been loving what I'm hearing on the One Thing podcast. So keep keep killing it. I appreciate that. Well, Gabe is the head of marketing at Customer, which has now been acquired by Meta. Congratulations on that, by the way. And where you you lead customers' worldwide marketing efforts, including advertising, brand communications, demand, and really driving uh, world class customer support uh, to your customers. If I understand. That's that's a pretty good summary. Um, been here three years, and as you said, joined Meta um, as part of a recent acquisition, um, and have loved it. You know, Meta um, does some amazing things, uh, which we dive into a little bit. But excited to be part of the Meta family here in the last year. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, the customer brand and the the business earned the right to be there. So I'm sure you guys are doing some really great stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, why don't you, if you're up for it, tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you here today. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, again, kind of stumbled on the One Thing podcast, but I love the idea of kind of sharing stories about what people have done and how they've been successful. And as we were talking pre-show, I've got some interesting stuff to share, right? So I was excited (laughs) to jump on, but been an interesting career. I won't dive too much into it, but started, thought I wanted to be more of a consultant, um, was moved out to San Francisco and joined a company called Accenture and um, started to do some consulting work, did a project in the finance space. And it was so interesting. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a banker. I'm going to be an investment banker. That's that's cool. Um, and so I did. I, I moved to New York, um, joined Goldman Sachs. And that was in a 2000, you know, 2005, six, seven, eight, nine ish type, type frame. And if you remember, there was some problems with the... <laughs> The, the industry around that time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was a derivatives. I was in derivatives. And oh, perfect. For those of you who remember those, um, I think I was the one who pushed the button and and next thing I know, the world is coming down. So I take credit for the market crashing in, in 08, 09. I watched the stock price go from 250 to 50 at Goldman Sachs and thought the world was ending and said, you know what? I don't want to be a banker anymore. This isn't fun. But the one thing that I took from it was, I was fascinated that the world's biggest bank could be brought to its knees due to consumer confidence and trust. I, I, I stumbled upon this guy. He was a Princeton professor named Danny Kahneman, and um, or D- D- Danny. People call him Danny, but I don't think he would appreciate. It's Daniel Kahneman. Uh, <laughs> he's got some great books, but he, this idea of behavioral economics, the study of why people do what they do, and I was fascinated by it. And so I joined. He was a senior scientist at a company called Gallup the Gallup organization, and they were doing research and helping companies think through how to manage the people side of of, um, the business. And they had an incredible opportunity overseas. I took a role to um, run a region in Saudi Arabia 
Um, I think I was the only person who applied for the role. I think that's why I got it. <laughs> anyways, I spent five years in the Middle East trying to help Toyota transform their customer, uh, their whole customer initiative. Um, they own a ton of market share in the Middle East. Loved my time over there, but um, ran into a little bit of a problem. We published a re- <laughs> we published a research study about. Uh, well, I won't get into the topic. It offended the government in Abu Dhabi and. They revoked our business license and I had nowhere to go. Um, so I took my wife and our little family, came to Salt Lake City. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. Salt Lake City, Utah. Met up with a college buddy and he said, you got into, you got to get into SaaS startups. And um, I'm probably going too deep. I'll stop. I'll, I'll, I'll get no, to that's the great. No, but, keep um, going. Yeah. So I, I, I did, I, this is about a dozen years ago, stumbled into SaaS and, Joined a company called InsideSales.com, and they were trying to disrupt the sales space. You know, field sales has been around for years and years. Guys carrying briefcases, knocking on doors, and and they wanted to do a remote sales model built on technology and velocity and data. And I, I said, hell yeah! <laughs> I thought it was a fascinating idea, and we really started to pioneer a remote sales model under the umbrella of. We own the domain InsideSales.com and spent five years with that company, grew it to $100 million. And um, my friend, the CEO, decided to jump. I thought maybe I should jump. That brings us to customer. And so, again, three years at customer, um, a real fun here in the customer service space, slightly different than the sales space, but still SaaS technology. And as we said, now part of Meta and looking forward to the future here. That's cool. What a great story. I, I appreciate you sharing all that. Yeah, I didn't mean to go into too many details, but yeah, anyways, that that's cool about me. That was perfect. So five years over in the Middle East, now that's a cool experience. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, Saudi Arabia, I spent a couple years in Jeddah, swam in the Red Sea, and and it is, it's as beautiful as is advertised. Jeddah's different. It's a different, it's a slightly different place for those of you who've grown up in, you know, the U.S., Dubai is um, was incredible. The architecture, the the water, the internationalism. So yeah, I loved both. Such great experiences in both in in, in Saudi Arabia and Dubai. Yeah, well, once upon a time, I launched a business over there and spent some time in Dubai and Oman, and uh, that was that was really fun. Yeah, Oman. Yeah, I did a little tour. I did a little river tour in Oman. Didn't get over there too many times, but it's a I fun. Like, I feel like it was a hundred and twenty. <laughs> when I was there and it, like le- legitimately like on the thermostat and and we were touring touristy stuff and we went into like the Sultan's mosque and you have to you have to wear jeans you can't have shorts yeah. on so right. 120 in jeans in the sun for like 3 hours and it was an experience <laughs> what were you doing? this was a bu- this was a business venture you doing over there you said or yeah, exactly. So once upon a time, we, we built this uh, indoor skydiving business called iFly. And we were putting them all over the world. We put them on cruise ships. And Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines had uh, indoor skydiving wind tunnels on the back of their quantum class ships. And so the first ship uh, that had one uh, launched out of out of Europe. And I met the uh, the ship in Dubai to train their staff on on how to use the machine and then hung out there for a while and then uh, spent some time over in, in, the, in the area. So you, so yeah, you experienced probably Dubai in its fullest. An incredible, incredible city, right? It's just oh, incredible. it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's such. I would have spent. I'd still be there. You know, my plan was to stay if it wouldn't have been for that dumb. I'll never forget that government official calling us and being like, "Look, you're out," and I'm like, "What?" That's crazy. 
just out and I'm like, you know, it's not much of a democracy. <laughs> you, just, you don't like, we're just the other to... side of that coin for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but man, I love that I was planning on staying there for a lot longer, but five years was good. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. You said something earlier that uh, you were you're really impacted by how quickly uh, Goldman Sachs were, their stock price was was devalued just based on kind of the power of the confidence in the brand and how much of that carries forward for you today in the way that you approach uh, the the you know brand side and and uh, building customer. Yeah, look, I just never my my. my... I think of myself as a people person, but through my career, I got more into analytics, computer programming, technology. I don't know. I I started to think that people maybe didn't matter as much just in general. And that was just a big wake-up call um, that perception, people, trust, confidence, that stuff's hard to measure for an analytical mindset. It's not ones and zeros, right? But Man, when I'm there, I'm sitting as I said, I'm watching that stock price go down. In 2009, Goldman had one of its best years ever, partially due to Fed funding. Um, there's no doubt about that. But it was basically a healthy balance sheet in many ways. By no means should it went down to almost $50 in a stock price. But people didn't trust the banks. They started to bet against them. They, and you start to see these words like trust, confidence. And it flipped me to, I think, a more balanced marketer and business person that, yeah, and, and probably that may be, if I had to say one thing that shifted me most into marketing, it may have been that moment where it was like, I mean, these are brand type topics, right? T -t Trust, confidence, per per uh, perception, those are all core brand ideas. And so I just got kind of a, oh my goodness, I better put this into my repertoire as something to help build and change the way businesses, you know, function. And again, that all comes back to people and it all comes back to your customer. Yeah. With a K. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. For, that, for gets confusing. that gets really confusing. Um, so um, yeah. contracts and, and stuff. Like that. I, I, I have, we, the training company behind the one thing uh, is productive and we do productive with a K. So I, I, I relate. Oh. Very much to to what you're saying. We're not the only we're not the only odd ones. There are some other people using K. <laughs> Definitely, when it comes to uh, perception, people, trust, confidence, these kind of core pillars of of building a strong brand, sustainable brand. Are there any like simple or I think maybe high level 
approaches or, or tools that you use to, to create that uh, positive perception and trust that you found to be really valuable? You know, um, I think there are, there's certainly, I think, principles that make a big difference um, when, when, it, when you try to start to apply these tools in more um, tactical type settings. You know, I'm thinking, I'll, I'll probably butcher it a little bit, but there's a quote out there that um, Henry Ford said, you know, he said, if you want to know what your customers, <laughs> he says, if, you, if I would have asked my customers what they want, they probably would have said they wanted a faster horse. I, again, probably butchered the concept a little bit, but love that principle there. Again, you've got this so important to treat customers and understand customers, but it's not all just about listening to customers because they may do just what Henry Ford said, give me a faster horse, when in reality, they needed a car. And so I think something when it comes to perception and trust, it is about listening, but you can't just listen and regurgitate you often have to listen and project further. So I love that from a principle standpoint. The other thing I really love um, from a branding concept, and I don't mean to spit out a couple of ideas here, is oftentimes it's better to divert a river than it is to dig a well. Again, just kind of an analogy, a play on words there. You've got to find something that ideally is working. Um, and we could go into some examples, but Sometimes it's a big company. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, swim with the sharks. That's another way to think about this, right? Like I'm a small company. Well, I was part of a small company. Meta is a fairly large company. But when you're a smaller <laughs> a company, <laughs> when you're a smaller company and you're thinking about brand, what are ways to grow exponential? What are ways to get bigger? And sometimes you got to tap into those traffic sources. You know, you go to an event like Dreamforce from Salesforce, um, that's a huge event and there's tons of people there and you're now tapping into that rather than running your own event that you might only be able to get 100 people to. Dreamforce had like 100,000 people this year, right? Attend Or in the past, it's had 100,000. So that's another principle or strategy I love when it comes to how do you take a concept like brand and then turn it into something that's a little more, more actionable? Just a couple thoughts there. No, that's that's really good. On on the first one, uh, you said something that that resonated with me about like listen to your customers, but not to a fault because they may not know what they don't know, and you have a solution that they may not be aware of they need. Uh, but there's like a balance there, is what you're saying. And and I think on and I relate to this on one end of it, you have like build a product or a solution or something in a silo, and you're not actually listening to what your customers want. You have this brilliant idea, you go and, and you put it out there and it flops because you didn't gather the feedback. On the other end of that spectrum is you listen so much that you you limit your thinking and you don't think outside the box on what could be a better solution than what they're aware of. Yeah, you know, it's the, the follow-up to this. I'm glad you double-click on this. This is one I think about a lot. And it, the word balance is right. I'd see if I could stick you with this this um, concept, again, I'm maybe butchering it, but I've been thinking about this line. It's you don't listen to customers or potential customers when trying to innovate. You use their feedback only to iterate. Maybe that's a way to kind of grasp it a little tighter. And look, there's also a balance there, but you got to listen to them, but it's more about the iteration when you listen to them. When it comes to true innovation, it, there does often need to be a separation. It's a feedback piece but I love that idea of maybe innovate versus iterate to kind of get that customer feedback where it fits sometimes and where it doesn't. 
Yeah, I mean, p- perhaps there's some some feedback then that could help you identify a niche or like a, an area that a gap right. exists. But then you, they won't provide the necessarily the solution in some cases. You'd have there to you go. that, yep. but you can see the gap from the feedback. Yep, yep. So and that exactly. that kind of goes into the iteration piece as well, right? Yeah, that that's great. And then you talked about, I like, I love this one. So it's, sometimes it's better to redirect a river than to dig the well. That's that's great. I I think that for me that feels like the need to, to you should be benchmarking. You should be looking for what other things exist out there today that you can leverage, and versus trying to build from scratch. In some cases, where I mean, there's a good chance somebody's done it or made the mistakes. You gotta you gotta figure out what those things are. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you you phrase it like that um, because I I had um, I did one of these mentorship conversations. I don't try to mentor people. I don't know what I'm doing very often, but I did have one and I was talking to this um, younger person in marketing and they were talking about innovation a little bit and asking about, you know, how, how do you learn from others? And I'm just like, man, I can't stress enough. You know, I do think often innovation is creative plagiarism. You know, a lot of the great ideas I have, or I have had, is by kind of stilling your words a little bit, taking other great things that I've seen in other industries and trying to apply them to my own world. People are like, hey, that seems like a really good idea. What they don't know is I basically plagiarized it from company XYZ from a B2C conference I went to two years ago or something like that. So I love that. And I think it's great. Again, I don't mean to put a negative connotation on creative plagiarism, but um, that can lead to great innovation by borrowing ideas from other people in other industries. I, yeah, absolutely. And it, it it's it's a skill to do it and leverage like the knowledge and experiences of other people to create something else. But I had a, I had a colleague I worked with. Uh, she, she was incredible at graphic design, incredible at like learning and development and training materials, things like that. And she's just a wizard. And I'd always give her credit. And one day she finally, she's like, she's like Chris, you got to understand, I leverage the case method. I'm like, do tell. She's like, case, copy and steal everything. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> okay, you got that. it. <laughs> maybe I'll take that one, right? So that, um, and, and you'll be surprised, right? Oftentimes, it is a little bit challenging, you know, I'm in the B2B SaaS space and I'll often have, you know, people on my marketing team be like, hey, why why do you attend? I usually try to, pandemic aside, I try to attend a like B2C conference at least once a year because I'm, and they're like, why? Why would you, why, what? Why, why would you do that? We're B2C SaaS. These guys are totally different. B2C is totally different space. I'm like, are you kidding me? Those guys, I always think B2C is 10 years ahead of B2B. But it's just such a fresh perspective on new ideas. And so sometimes you do have to get out of your world. That's why I was kind of stressing different industry, different verticals, different markets. Because sometimes it's not just about your competitors. Don't get me wrong. You can get some good ideas from them. But what about a B2C e-commerce company that doesn't have anything to do with SaaS? How are they building their brand? You know, what are they doing for email marketing or, you know, name the tactic? And I've been surprised. I think it's fun to kind of jump out of your, your comfort zone there. Yeah, I mean, well, B two C is it's a little bit more of a war zone where they're they're grinding in a different way. So, oh, oh, I mean, I mean, the data. Yeah, don't get me started. I mean, I just feel like B two C they use data. I consider myself a data driven person, but every time I I interact with those guys, I'm just thinking I don't know anything about data. I mean, they just (laughs) every step is so myopic. You know, they really look at everything so in in, such granularity, partially because they have so much volume. It's like meta, right? When you Mm -hmm. have 
billions of people using a tool like WhatsApp often, it's not, you're not closing one deal a year. You have so many interactions, you have more data, but I love it. They bring a real, real data-driven approach to the business. Yeah, definitely. You, you said something earlier and I just wanted to circle circle back on it. You said uh, you you don't mentor, you aren't qualified to be a mentor. And I, I would encourage you that you are. You definitely <laughs> could be a great mentor and you shouldn't miss that opportunity. I probably should do more of it. Maybe I maybe that's a good kick in the pants because I, you know, you you always think you have enough of your own problems. You're like, how can I? It's like having kids. I have a couple of kids. It's like I can't figure out my own life. How do I? How do I? How do I? Yeah. Do? You do it anyways. You do it. Oh anyways. man, but that's that's such a, an important quality to be a good mentor is to to know that you can share those those imperfections. That's that's uh, one of the better characteristics of. Tell us about customer. So customer, I understand, very focused on customer experience. And you guys have a CRM of sorts for for yeah. our customers. Can you explain yeah. a little about what you guys are up to? Yeah, so it is. You know, when I um, was looking to make the move over here, I, I have an, a, this people side. Um, I've, I've always kind of had this um, thing. And it, again, a little bit of it came from, from Goldman Sachs. It's a little bit of a... I always thought back then it was a little bit of a soft statement, if you will. Um, but I've, I've appreciated, and it was part of that transformation for me because Goldman Sachs, it was such kind of a, it was just a big transitionary period for me. Anyways, one of their values was my people are my assets or our people are our assets. I get it. It's a little bit cliche, but um, that put me on that trend, a transformational path where I started to focus more on people and customers and the value of feedback and stuff like that. And so again, I've always been appreciative of that. Spent five years in the Middle East just working with Toyota on taking customer feedback and putting the customer at the forefront of everything. And I'm just surprised that that often gets lost in businesses. And we talked about it. There's a time and a place, so it's not the only thing. But if you're not thinking about your customers, if your customers aren't front and center, what... What are you doing? We laugh about it, but in a business, we get caught up in all sorts of stuff. We get caught up in, you know, just people hitting the website or how long are customer service agents on the phone or what technology do I have? And there's so many little things that distract you in a business at times that you forget that, you know, quote unquote, the customer is king. And so when I stumbled across customer, the thing that just hit immediately was, it was the centralization of people. They had this tagline, it's people, it's not tickets. And it just resonated so much with me with a little bit of my past and just that concept of when I call in, there's nothing, no worse experience. If you buy a product you love and there's some issue with it, you can't figure out how to set it up or, and you're on that phone or you're, and, and they're like, what's your ticket number? Or, you know, Tell me if you've already raised a ticket. I'll see if I can look it up. And, and it turns into this robotic experience of, I'm not a ticket, dude. I'm a person, <laughs> you know, and treat me like one. I'm not like this one transactional event. Like I buy from you all the time. I just bought something two weeks ago and 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 now you're not going to refund me, but I've spent thousands of dollars with you, but you don't even know because you, I'm just a ticket to you. So there was this philosophical alignment when I found customer of we've got to help organizations get away from a little bit of the mess and some of the dirtiness sometimes that businesses have and find a way to keep the customer at the front and at the center of it. So philosophically, I loved it. And the way that we've done that at customer 
is to build technology around, around the customer. So we're a customer-centric CRM platform to help businesses transform their customer experience. And so we got a couple bells and whistles that really make a difference. The CRM component is one. It's a full-fledged CRM component. So you can know everything about that customer when they call up, all past transactions, all interactions, birth dates, et cetera. Then omni-channel concept. I can't stress it enough for businesses. You've got to be where your customers are. In the pandemic, we saw that. We see more and more that businesses want to communicate the same way they communicate with friends and family. You're seeing stuff like the phone die. Why? Because I don't communicate with my friends and family via the phone. I'm on stuff like WhatsApp or SMS and stuff like that. And so being an omni-channel, meeting your customers where you are, just I almost feel like it's table stakes now. And then data and AI, I think, adds on to that. So again, a customer-centric platform for businesses to kind of help transform their business. That's what customer, customer with a K does. Oh, that's great. Do you guys also have feedback platforms like survey that type of uh, like proactive data capture? Yep, great, great question. So we typically integrate those types of things. You know, we're a more of a, a core platform. Um, when you say word like CRM, we try to provide the foundational elements, and then we invite the app exchange or app partners. You know, the survey feedback NPS type stuff to hook on. And now you got the best of both worlds. They do great at surveys. We have the full CRM, um, the outbound messaging campaign or cap capability. Now you've got kind of the one-two punch. Nice. A little bit of a loaded question, but when when you think about measuring you know, customer success metrics, those things that you mentioned NPS, like what are the what are the big ticket uh metrics that that you lean into that you believe in, like OSAT NPS, those things? Yeah, look, I think this is where this gets this conversation could go deeper. I I think traditionally speaking there's been just a lot of metrics and I think there's some confusion from MPS to the customer satisfaction score to the you know even maybe more transactional stuff like wait time or uh, handle time and stuff like that. Ultimately uh, my mindset is it's about growth, it's about revenue. And I think you're starting to see a fundamental shift in the customer experience of being a cost center to a profit center. So again, I don't want to disregard, you know, core metrics like an MPS or customer satisfaction. I do and think they'll always be important. I do think a lot of people focus too much on an individual transaction and then say, our, our customer experience is bad and it's one time and one place, or it's good and, and it's one person in one moment. I just don't think that's capturing the overall customer experience that now is, you know, we find in our data, people are following on, you know, on some of these social platforms, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten companies. They're buying from companies that that have the same values as them. They're, they want to be part of it. And so they're interacting way more than just one point where they took one survey. With that said, growth. We're seeing the customer service center change from this idea of just answering questions from a problem or a call center overseas to, again, a strategic pillar where it's like, hey, my my cost center, my customer service center is driving repeat purchases. It's driving additional revenue, share of um, you know average transaction value. And all of a sudden, I think you're seeing CROs or chief customer officers start to take notice because it's like, hey, this ain't just a cost center anymore where people are just taking a phone call and people are ticked. They're actually driving revenue. So I actually like to flip the script sometimes and say, hey, it, it's 
it's not it's not just satisfied. Let's talk about revenue, something that really ties to business objectives. And look, I, I indirectly satisfaction absolutely ties, but when you're talking dollars and cents, that's not that, that is the business objective, right? So definitely. So a little bit of a business mindset shift from you know traditional customer service or experience being like a stopgap or a reaction to negative comments or just plug in plug in holes to more of a like a proactive revenue driver for the business. Yeah. And and look, there's a place for both and different companies are at different stages, right? So some of these right. upstart companies, this revenue center, I think resonates a lot with them. If you're a larger company, you know, much larger, you know, you're, you, you got to think about costs, right? And so you, you're thinking about, I mean, how, these phone calls, they cost a lot. And so how much can you decrease your costs and increase satisfaction? So I do think there's a time and a place, but I'm loving this concept of flipping the script a little bit and seeing if we can't get just the, the customer service center, the customer experience center. It focuses on the customer. I don't know if it's gotten enough credit. You know, I think sales oftentimes maybe gets a little more focus. These customer service reps are a cost center. And so I, I do, I want to encourage people to raise that elevation, raise that awareness. And one way to do that is tie yourself closer to revenue. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And do, do you see another, as as the customer expectations have evolved, how we meet customers where they are has evolved, well, technology is lightning fast. Like, but Do you see any other big gaps or considerations uh, listeners should consider if they're, if they're running a business about where we're going in this space? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been using the word the now customer. Um, you know, certainly the data, the, the, as these generational elements change and you see, you know, Gen Z grow up and buy more and be more of the, you know, direct spender, the buying behavior changes. And with that buying behavior changing, you know, we certainly need to change. And there are, you know, speed matters. I just talked about values and aligning with people. Relationship matters in a different way than it was before. They expect things quick. So there's these different things that certainly the pandemics help, but also I think kind of this new generational element of of the younger generation buying more. And if you want to do that, you just need to be aware of it. And I hit on a couple of them. The one I've been passionate about lately is the modern messaging channels. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, we're just seeing people wanting to communicate with businesses on the same communication channels they communicate with friends and family. It's a shift. Um, not to say look phone isn't still and part of the way that people communicate with businesses, but it's it's just losing. I don't think it ever goes away. It's just losing ground to some of these other channels. So I think that's huge. And then I think speed is the other big one that um, you, you know we just don't have the appetite to wait anymore. And so if you're not orienting your life around quickness of orders, return policy, um, response, that makes it makes a huge difference. And then last, I would just say relationship. I, I touched on it just a minute ago, but it's it's different now with um, some people that won't want this, you know, they use the word personalization. I, I, it's kind of like the me, the me, um, I've used the word the me economy. I'm going to steal that. That's good. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's uh, like, it's so it's it's hard to say because it's not just about being nice and being having good relationships with people and it's actually about me and and that's tough because it's different for each person and so you need to almost be able to build a profile so to say or understand your customers enough to know that I might be that guy that just wants to get in and get 
the hell out, you know? Or I might want to be the, the Zappos guy who calls about, you know, if you've heard that story, it's kind of a famous one where they're, you know, they just call Zappos and almost get free counseling when they're, you know, there's a shoe company, right? Their, <laughs> their customer service reps took any call and dealt with anything, right? But it's it's me. And so you got to understand that just ups the ante on, we used to just say, again, make everybody happy and make everybody good. But it's like, man, if you're going to treat me, what do they say? It's like the um, platinum rule, golden rule, something like that. Like treat others the way they want to be treated, not how you want to be treated how they want to be treated. And that ups the game on relationship that requires some technology. It requires a different view. You got to know your customer. Yeah, personalization that we haven't done before. So That's great. Man, it sounds like customer is doing some fun stuff. And you guys have uh, just been acquired by Meta, as we mentioned, which is a pretty cool thing. So any any big... I know there's uh, probably certain things you can't share, but is there any any big shifts or changes that you've seen since you've you guys have been acquired? <laughs> oh man, you know, where do you start? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, we were a smaller company and now we're part of a bigger company. Um, I just, you, you know, you can go Google some of the stuff. I, I think Meta's got an incredible uh, vision of um, where they want to take, um, you know, the social and, and community aspects. So I'm excited to just be on the train as Meta continues to do and change the world in, in, in I think, many positive ways. But, you know, for us in particular, I'm real excited to bring together, um, you know, we've done a lot on on the customer experience on the post-sales interaction. And that's where probably our strongest strength has been. Meta does so much goodness and amazing stuff on, you know, the pre-transaction, you know, the marketing side of things and that type of stuff. And so I'm just excited to try to impact more of the customer experience. I, I think as I was trying to say before, it isn't just about the one time I bought something and I'm frustrated. Customer journeys start very early, you know, when maybe I'm researching just externally on, I'm not even on your website yet. And, or maybe I saw an ad and, and then I run through the gamut. And so we've just been playing with different stuff to kind of bridge that gap more of, of commerce and care. And so I'm excited to just tackle more of the customer journey because it gets back to those core principles of, if you really want to be personalized and, and treat me the way I want to be treated, then the, the more you've kind of know about me or the experience I've had throughout the customer journey, that makes a, a big difference. So that's probably the thing I'm most excited about as we try to tackle that in one way or another. That's awesome. And you've got your own podcast, a customer service podcast. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So customer service secrets. Um, and we try to do, we cover the gamut of kind of marketing, um, customer service, a little bit on sales, but trying to get to that place of where we we do, we talk about the entire customer journey and how different companies are trying to uh, transform themselves in in what is proving to be for many people, you know, a very interesting um, environment or economy at the moment. So awesome. If you could have our listeners take away one thing from our conversation today, what would it be? Oh, man, we hit so many things. Do I have to choose one? Um <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, you know, I'm going to go maybe a little off script here. Um, when I listened to the One Thing podcast and saw some of the stuff that people you've entertained or you, you know, you've had on some great, great guests, my first impression was, you know, I'm, I'm not that special. I'm, I'm, I'm not someone that people would maybe want to hear my story or what happened. But um, you know, I'm obviously on and I'm, I'm doing it. But I would say that, you know, I think everybody has a great story and. 
know that your story is great as well. Love that. Where can people find you if they want to check out customer, they want to check out your podcast, they want to hunt you down on social? <laughs> yeah, help me down. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I you can always check out the Customer Service Secrets podcast. Tune in. It's always fun to hear listeners and get some feedback via that mechanism. But I'm a LinkedIn guy. You can find me under just Gabe Larson um, and fairly active there. Would love to continue the dialogue if people have comments, questions, and, and that'd be a great place to, to track me down. Awesome. Gabe, thanks so much for being on today. It was great talking to you about all these things. And it was it was an awesome conversation and definitely worthy of, of doing this. I appreciate it, man. Take care. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.